Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and today my guest is Mickey Zeta. Mickey is a change agent, a content creator, and an advocate for women who have escaped domestic abuse. Mickey's passion is to inspire and empower survivors in their transition to safe, healthy lives. And I gotta say, Mickey walks her talk like few women I've known. Mickey left her abuser at the age of 53, and her wisdom is humbling and inspiring. Mickey, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for inviting me, Kate. I'm so happy to be here. I am so happy you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. So the confusing thing about domestic abuse is that quite often, and I'm going to say it's it's way up in the 90%, that people who are living in domestic abuse don't realize that's what they're living in. They know they're unhappy. They know that there's something wrong, but they don't realize what their reality is. And that was my case. I'll, I'll just briefly start at the beginning because I experienced control first and then uh, a kind of emotional abuse and financial uh, control and abuse sort of together. And mm-hmm. then after I'd been married five years, it, it evolved into physical abuse. So what I'm going to do is start at the beginning quickly and give examples because often people don't know. I get asked so often, but what is emotional abuse? Yes, it's so important. It is so important because it is so, because of the very definition of it, right? It's confusing. It is. It's confusing. Right? And it's easy. The whole point yeah. is to confuse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, and that's what they're shooting for. <laughs> right. Exactly. They're shooting for us to be totally confused. That's the goal. So, yeah. So I met uh, my abuser when I was just almost 17. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was in love with the concept of romantic love. I, I did not come from an abusive family. But this guy, like so many abusers, he was good looking, he was charismatic, he treated me like I was a queen. He was about almost four years older than me. So I was in high school and he was in college. He was my best friend's brother. Mm. And I was kind of sucked in with all these little glittery stars and hearts in my eyes because I came from a family that didn't have much. We had a great family, but we didn't have a lot of possessions. And his family, was uh, every single kid, there were four children, and each time they turned 16, they got a brand new car. So I was kind of attracted by that. Plus, abusers are amazing. Uh, when they want to be, they, they, they're amazing. <laughs> they're mm-hmm. really, so that's what I was attracted to. And, um, and I, I fell hook, line, and sinker for this guy. Well, after we'd been dating just a few months, one time we were driving down the road and I didn't have a driver's license yet. My dad would not let us get driver's license until we were 18. So uh, I, actually, I got my driver's license like two weeks before I got married. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Wow. Weird. So wow. we're driving. Yeah, it's crazy. So we're driving down the road in his brand new Mustang and all of a sudden he takes his hands off the steering wheel and he says, okay, Mickey, you steer. And I said, I started laughing. I said, I don't know how to drive. I can't steer. And I realized he wasn't kidding. So I took the wheel and kind of kept the car between the lines. And, uh, and I, I, it should have been such a huge red flag. In fact, that happened 
often. It was his, his little special game. And we'd be driving down the freeway, you know, at 70 or 80 miles an hour, and he'd just let go of the steering wheel. Oof. And I would grab it. So what he was doing was really training me. Now, why there are many women, even kids, who would have that happen and say, I am out of here. This is nuts. But I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I stayed. Well, fast forward till um, we got married. And the, that control evolved into emotional abuse. Mm. And uh, emotional abuse is such a, it's a hard thing to define because yeah. it sneaks up, us, uh, up on us. It, it's insidious. It sneaks up on us. Mm-hmm. Um, often I've used the frog in water uh, yeah. analysis. You Can know, you, you put a, yes, say, say what ahead. that is. Cause I use that so uh, freely and frequently, but I don't think that everyone knows what that is. Well, when you put a frog in cold water and you turn up the heat, it doesn't realize that it's being heated up. It doesn't realize it's being cooked. And suddenly it is all of a sudden it's cooked, but it doesn't realize it. It started out in cold water. It was comfortable and pretty soon it's cooked. Well, that is the same with emotional abuse. I use that analogy all the time because all of a sudden, the things that we think are, are games, all of a sudden the things that hurt our feelings, but we tolerate them, suddenly we're cooked. Yeah. Suddenly we are living in a horrible, horrible situation. And, and the juxtaposition to that is that if you, uh, the other sort of piece of that story is that if you put a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will jump out really quickly exactly but it's this exactly. slow burn mm-hmm. that is so dangerous exactly yeah and for some women they would have jumped out way before i did yeah. <laughs> you know all of the, as, as i give examples of things that happen uh, some women are going to listen to this and go what the heck you know why did why would somebody stay there well there are a million reasons why and for me uh, i was young when i married and in the beginning, I knew I was not happy. In fact, I think at about the first 18 months of being married, I left the first time. Hmm. And uh, I just knew, I don't think I addressed domestic abuse. I just knew I wasn't happy. And I knew that I lived in a lot of fear and that I was already starting to walk on eggshells. I, would, I knew what I could and couldn't say. I knew the tones of voice I could and couldn't use. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's just... It, for some of us, I say that we women who are attracted to abusers, we have huge hearts. And we realize that there's something wrong with these guys, but we think right. that we can fix them. Yeah. We think that if we just love them enough, yes. or we, you know, if we yeah. just... Um, you know, if we just don't make them mad again. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and, the, and the thing about abusers, too, is that they're not just controlling and domineering, they're also broken. They're also, uh, the part of the reason that they are that way is that there is a side to them that does feel, that does need love, that we can, you know, they've probably opened up uh, to their vulnerability with us to, oh gosh, I do this because of this and I'm, I'm so sorry and I will, you yeah. know, and all of that stuff. And so we see that part of them. I always say that it's like we can see the gold nugget in the pile of shit. And <laughs> That's right. we believe so much more strongly in the gold nugget um, that we just think that if we can love them enough, if we can show them enough, if we can just, 
you know, this is the, the walking on eggshells thing, right? This is right. why we walk on eggshells. If I don't upset the apple cart, then that gold nugget will shine. Exactly. You know, and yeah. it, the vehicle to allow it. And yeah, that. yeah. And, that, and that's such a big part of it. I'll be the vehicle. We see, our, we see ourselves. Uh, I, this is such a common thing that I hear and that I lived and that you're saying too. You're validating that we are the strong ones. Yeah, we are. We we just see the good, and yeah. it's if it was horrible all the time, all the time, we'd leave. Well, absolutely, and 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 the good is is actually part of the manipulation. It is right? exactly like if it is it was all good. If it was all bad all the time, nobody would tolerate it. Right, right. But these guys know when to be good. They know when to show up with flowers or when to show up with a piece of jewelry or. You know, they, they know when they pushed a little bit too far. Yeah. And, um, and they, that's when they're, you know, they apologize and they cry and they do all the things that they know is going to keep us from yeah. saying, the hell with this, I'm out of here. Right. So, and, and I, yeah. I lived that for so many years. I think that I was married for 23 years. Now, mm. my physical abuse started about five years in, but okay. I think I was married for 23 years before I accepted the possibility that I lived in abuse. Wow. And, and that had been 18 years of physical abuse. Right. As well. That's right. Can you, can you talk about that and how and when sure. that started? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things that everybody remembers the first time they were physically abused and the last time. So, you know, there's a whole lot of, sh whole lot of stuff in between, a whole lot of instances, a whole lot of, bruises and and you know nasty nasty stuff but the first one and the last one we always remember so mm -hmm. for me the first time we'd been married about five years we lived in california then but we were on vacation in indiana at his grandparents house and his parents were there too it's not a big house so his parents asked me to ask him to do something for his aunt and uh so we were in the back bedroom in our bedroom and I said, oh, by the way, your mom asked me to ask you to do this. And he went ballistic. There is no way I'm going to do that. I can't believe that you would even ask me to do that. What is wrong with you? You know that isn't something I would ever even consider doing. I said, wait a minute. I I'm not asking you. Your mother's asking. Next thing I know, he's got me by the arms and he's throwing me all over that room. Ooh. And uh, it's a small house. So there's no way that his parents and his grandparents didn't hear what was going on. So finally, you know, he settles down. I stopped crying. And I never yelled back because that just made things worse. But now we come out of the room. Nobody says a word. And I think, okay, uh, maybe they didn't, you know, you the head games we play. Maybe they didn't yeah. hear it. So the next morning, it was summertime. Because so it's morning, unconscionable to believe that they did right like that they right. didn't do anything like how that's can you wrap right your brain how could yeah, how do you how do you how do you wrap your mind around that mm -hmm. so uh the next morning it was summertime so i wore a sleeveless shirt because there were fingerprint bruises on my arms there was no way they weren't seen so i thought if i do this if they didn't hear us last night at least they're going to see these bruises and somebody is going to come to my defense somebody is going to say now wait a minute i heard what was going on and you know, this is not okay. Not one word. Wow. Not one word. So the, the message to me was very, very clear. 
Number one, don't embarrass our son. Number two, don't embarrass this family. Hmm. And number three, don't talk about this. We don't talk about this. And was, so, this, was there a history of this in their family that they were already all preconditioned to? Uh, no, not physical abuse that I know of. There was, uh, his mother was very, very controlling. She, uh, she was the matriarch and uh, she died recently. And at her funeral, one of the, she lived in a nursing home at the end of her life. And one of the nursing home people said, one thing I can say about this woman she could make anybody feel guilty about anything. Wow. <laughs> so that's who she was. That's what he grew up with. And I really think that that's where he got it. I don't know that she ever was physically abusive, but I mean, yeah, but she was small. She was a tiny little woman. Mm, but doesn't man, matter, does it? doesn't matter. Nope. So that was my first time of being abused. And I got the message loud and clear. We don't talk about this. Now, I will say that since I, I, I just started, I've been podcasting and teaching personal growth for about 15 years. Well, podcasting for three, but personal growth for about 15. But um, I, I have come across a theory. I didn't create this theory. I didn't put these two words together, but it's collective collusion. Oh, and if you think about what that is, collective collusion. And with regard to abuse, domestic or physical abuse, it's that the collective society, the collusion is that they don't want to know. They are not, when we do come forward, society will side with the perpetrator. And it's proven out recently with Harvey Weinstein, uh-huh. with Larry Nasser, with um, Rob Porter. You know, it's, and more and more is coming out. But the point is that people knew about Harvey Weinstein for years, for years and years. Yep. People knew girls came forward about Larry Nasser. Even their parents didn't believe them because society says we don't question authority. Right. So and, it and, he was, and he was so skilled that there were, he, the parents were saying, but I was in the room, honey. Right. I didn't do anything right. You. I was right. in the room. Tragic. How tragic. Mm. Oh my gosh. Mm. Awful. So, so, um, that's collective collusion. Society doesn't want to know about abuse and it's going to side with the perpetrator. So, and somehow we know that when we live in abuse, yeah. I called it, I called it a fog that hung around our, hung around my head. It was something I didn't really, I couldn't identify. I couldn't put my finger on it, but I knew there was some reason it was not okay to talk about this, to talk about having lived in an abusive relationship. So, and now I identify that as collective collusion. Yeah. And, and the shame, right? I mean, the reason we, you know, the, the biggest question, why does she stay, right? So talking about it leads you directly to that question. It does. And there is no answer for why did I stay? I say there are, there are as many reasons to stay as there are people who are living in abuse. Yeah. So for me, I... I think my ex-husband was um, emotionally um, probably had a, has, you know, he's still alive. He probably has a diagnosable um, emotional problem. Mm -hmm. But uh, so then what I thought was that it was my job to keep him between the lines. We owned a, we owned businesses together and if it came out, the way that he treated me, what would happen to our business? 
Right. Yeah. You were really in there, weren't you? you yeah. You, were, you yeah. were locked in. I was locked in. And, uh, and people, I say, uh, people say all the time, well, I can't leave because I can't afford it. I can't leave because um, uh, I love the life I have and it's not worth leaving. I can't leave because where would I go? I can't leave because I don't have any support. All of those are just excuses. And I used every single one of them. Yeah. And, so, and they're, and they are, they're real, right? There are definitely things that need to be addressed. Um, be, right. Because they're, because where will you go? Right. And yeah. how will you support yourself? Yeah. And they're all answerable in some, they really are answerable in some way. Exactly. Um, if that's, you're ready, that's the point. If you're that's ready and willing. Yes. Exactly. If you're ready and willing to, to uh, step away, there are, there are plans to be made. There's support and, you know, and I mean, I, I, I want to be responsible about this as well, because we also know that one of the reasons that women don't leave uh, physically abusive relationships is that um, the, the homicide rate yep, yep. goes up. Uh, 70 times of leaving 70 times more yep. likely to be murdered when you say you're leaving or when you first leave exactly so, and we know that i i didn't know the number but i knew the reality that that was a dangerous dangerous time. say that number again 70 times women are 70 times more likely to be killed within when they leave or i think it's within the first two weeks of when they left yeah, and so just to be responsible about this, I'm actually going to put the link to the domestic abuse hotline um, in the show notes because, yep. and one of the things I love about this website <laughs> is that it actually has like, an, you can hit the escape key right. and it'll yeah. immediately shut down to something completely innocuous. Exactly. Uh, they've really so covered their bases on that and it's a, and it's a very, so, you know, it, this, because you're 70 times more likely to be murdered if you say you're going to go does not mean that you stay. It means that there's a lot of care to be taken in how you leave. Exactly. That's, yeah. that's precisely right. When I finally had had enough, um, well, I'll tell you what happened. Yes. For years, for years, I told myself, the next time I'm bruised, I'm gone. Yeah. The next time I'm bruised, I'm gone. Yeah. The next time I'm bruised, I'm gone. Yeah. <laughs> so that was what I kept telling myself. But I wasn't ready. Partly I wasn't ready because I still, I had not embarked on any significant personal growth. Yeah. And if we don't do that, my, now my, my mantra is, if we don't change, Nothing changes. Yes. So I finally, like I said, when I was married 23 years, I, I saw a movie and it was about domestic abuse. And I thought, holy shit, I know exactly how that woman feels. I mean, it just brought up everything that I was living. And at that point I said, oh my gosh, yeah. I'm living in abuse. But I didn't leave. I didn't change much. But it, it sunk in my brain. And I started reading books like Stop Walking on Eggshells. Yes. And Why, does he, why does he Do That? Mm -hmm. And all these books that helped me understand yeah. what I was living in and that I wasn't alone. I thought I was the only woman crazy enough to put up with the crap and continue loving this man. Yep. But now I know that's 
you know, that's just about everybody. And that's that, just about everybody. It is. And that's why I was so happy and excited to talk to you and have you on because, you know, because there's so much shame and secrecy, um, it, it, and we're talking about it more and more, right? And, that, and I love, you know, I love that we are shifting in this way. Um, I love that, you know, shows and books like um, uh, Big Little Lies, uh, are having getting gaining such incredible amounts of traction that mm -hmm. you realize that it's you know that, that the Harvey Weinstein thing that's this we are shifting we are at I'm I'm hoping um, that we are at the turning point in this uh, we are making forward motion and I can witness to that because I started like I said I was podcasting for three years but just in May of 2017 so just eight, nine or ten months ago I morphed into Surviving Abuse Network. And back then, I could get almost nobody to come on as a guest and talk about their experiences in domestic abuse. Almost nobody. Mm. I would talk to women, and they would tell me their stories. And when I said, hey, you know what? That would be a, a, such an inspiring story for, for my listeners on Surviving Abuse podcast. No, no, no. Not doing that. But now, I'm getting more and more guests. I'm getting more and more women who will come forward and say, yeah, this is my story. And yeah. that's so important because as we hear more survivors speaking, number one, we learn that we're not alone. Number two, we learn that it's okay to speak our truth. Yes. That is vital. Yeah, and that's and that is part of that process that you're that you're talking about is that, you know, when we get better, when we work on ourselves, how did you phrase it because it's so beautiful? I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, when we do the work on ourselves, right, we gain the strength. It's like we build the foundation under us that will help to catapult us out of our situations, right? That's and, exactly right. That's and exactly so right. often, you know, the, this is the work that I do all the time with women is that, you know, they're constantly, whether they're in abusive situations or not, and uh, they're, they're, they're struggling. Should I stay or should I go, you know? Um, and all of the work that I do with them is in setting that foundation. Mm -hmm. it's, all, it's, it's so, some of it is about their marriage. A lot of it is. But so much of it is about their personal development. Exactly. And, and, and growing them into being confident, to having, you know, unshatterable self-esteem, to be the kind of woman who can look at a situation and say, actually, that's not okay with me. Exactly. And, and, and we've made things so okay for so long. Yeah. That, and, and that's something else, you know, I, I preach. We, we teach people how to treat us. We do. On 100%. And, yep. And yep. so now, you know, I had 34 years of having taught this man. It was okay to treat me like a doormat. It was okay to treat me like a, you know, a rag he could throw around the room. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and scream at and yell at and cuss at and spit at, yep. you know, it, it, I, I accepted that. So that's why I say it's important. People don't like to hear this, but the truth is that we could leave at any time. We keep us in that position. I could have left any, I left three times and came back. So the fourth time I was ready. The fourth time I had done enough personal growth. I had, I had figured out that a lot of the stuff that he had me convinced of who I was, was not me, but I was 53 at that point and I didn't know who I was. Uh -huh. And that was another shocking thing. I was 53 years old. 
I was a real, very successful entrepreneur. Anybody who met me had no idea what was going on inside my head, what I was living in inside my home. But I had no confidence in who I was or that I could survive alone. Mm. So that was shocking to me when I realized I don't know what colors I like. I don't know what furniture style I like because I always would do what he wanted. I, I, and I love that. So I, I have the exact same story where for <laughs> people would ask me what my favorite color was and I would be, I would stare like a deer in headlights. Yep. I could not tell them. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, and it was, it's the weirdest thing to have a panic about. Um, but I, I knew myself so little uh, that I literally didn't know my favorite color. Yep. If, if we would be walking down the street, I grew up in New York City and um, spent my first 30 years there besides college. And we would be walking down the street looking at, you know, you as you do in New York, you walk down the street and you look at this menu, you look at that menu, or, you know, you decide where you're going to have dinner. And I would, I would stay back. Yep. And I would let whoever <laughs> I it was, whether it was my boyfriend, my husband, my, my mother, it doesn't matter. Um, because I was not uh, raised to, uh, to possess myself. Um, and, and so I didn't know anything. I couldn't have someone said, what do you want for dinner? I would just, I would say, I don't know. What do you want? Yeah. And I, and so this, you know, this I was, this was the way that I, that I was raised for various reasons. And then, you know, at a certain point, this is, I think this was my, you know, direct path into the codependent and, and, you know, emotionally abusive relationships that I was in for, for decades as well, that, you know, when you don't have the strength to even know your, your favorite color or what you want for dinner, you gravitate towards people who are going to control all of those things for you. Exactly. Exactly. And here's my, here's, here's what I learned um, over the years since leaving abuse and, and embracing so much personal growth and how, how do things really work? Mm-hmm. And what I learned is that we as human beings are transmitters and receivers of energy. Mm-hmm. And we transmit and we receive 24-7. So the energy that I was putting out there to attract an abuser, was a, I attracted him. And that's why I stayed. That's yeah. why I was there. That's why I allowed him. You know, interestingly, I was raised in a family. I'm the oldest of nine kids. And my parents were fabulous about teaching us to make decisions. Uh, from the time I can remember, from two or three years old, I remember if I was going to get a new dress, mom would put like three different dresses out. These were my choices. And I'd pick the dress I wanted. They, they just always encouraged us to make our own decisions. So for me to end up the way that I was by the time I was 53 was totally out of character. It was shocking. But because I remembered who I was when I was younger, I was able to excavate that person. It's something that I, when I was coaching, I encouraged people to, who came to me like I was and like you were to say, look back in your life and find when were you the happiest? When were you the most you. Yep. Yep. And for me, it's when I was 16 years old. Which made you sort of the, the, right, the, you know, you were the perfect age to be groomed into this. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? I was. Because you weren't fully formed yet. You may have had an idea of who you were, but you weren't fully formed yet. No, that's right. 
That's right. And but what I what I did after I got out, I after I got out of abuse, after I got divorced, several major changes happened. But one is for five years, I put myself in what I call the repair shop. <laughs> so it was a self-imposed repair shop. And we talked about women leaving and not having any money. You know, my husband and I were in a very lucrative industry. We owned several businesses. Financially, we were strong. I lived in a big house that overlooked the lake. I had a nice expensive car. My life was pretty darn easy, except that I was miserable because that was the facade. The reality was, you know, that he took all the credit, blah, blah, blah. Right. But um, what, oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, your self-imposed, that's what you were talking about. Your oh, yeah, my five-year self-imposed repair shop. Yeah. What I, that's when I discovered, um, well, that's when I discovered significant personal growth. I left, that's where I was going. I, I left without much money. I did sneak some money out of our checking account, but I was under uh, financial abuse too. He controlled the money. So can you, can, you, can you talk about that? Because I think that is a huge issue that I've encountered a lot uh, with my clients is, sure. is this money control. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, you were going somewhere and I just derailed you, but <laughs> we've kind of been all over the place. Finish, I know that's what, you know, that's the beauty of this. Um, yeah, actually, it is. Yeah. Go ahead and finish up what you were going to say. And then I want to come back to that financial control piece. So what I did, um, I did sneak a little bit of money out of the checking account. I moved from a great big, beautiful house on the lake to a tiny little furnished apartment that I figured I could afford to pay for. And, um, I knew that if I didn't change, nothing was going to change. So I, that's when I embraced personal growth and, and becoming who I wanted to be, to create my life, to figure out who I was. So what I did was I used a little bit of that money, but I found, I went to the library. I took out tons of books at the library because that was free. And, but I also hired coaches. I hired um, counselors and I put it on my own credit card. So I say credit cards are like a rope. They can pull you out of the mud or they can hang you. <laughs> so yes. I, yeah. I used mine to pull me out of the mud. Yeah. And so that's, and so I just did a video too, a, a live video that uh, it's called, um, you think you can't afford personal growth. And I thought that too, I was wrong. And so are you. <laughs> uh -huh. So it's Great. so true because it costs time, but it costs money to get the help that you need. You're not going to figure this out on your own. You're not going to. Yep. So yep, I, absolutely. you know, people see things that you don't see. One of my coaches back before I left my, my abuser said, Mickey, what is your payoff for being a victim? Yep. Pissed me off. <laughs> I was oh, so mad. Oh, isn't it? It's the worst oh. question a coach can ever ask you. And it is one of the most powerful. Yep. Yep. I mean, I, I got so mad at her. I was like, hey, I'm paying you. <laughs> you know? no. What are you calling me a victim for? But yep. as we worked through it, by the end of that hour, I was like, holy cow. Yep. She's yep. right. And that probably was, I was still married then, but I was on a real serious personal growth path. So that's probably, um, that's probably the beginning of the end for that marriage. So anyway, my point is, don't say you can't afford. Those who are listening, don't think you can't afford personal growth. You can. You just have to figure out how. I ended up taking a second job 
because it was that important to me to be able to pay for what I needed to, to let go of who I was being told that I was and that I in, internalized. You got to let go of that. Yes. And, but you're and not going to do it alone. You're not. And here's the other thing is that you're not going to do it by reading the books and listening to the nope. podcast either. Nope. You're going to do it by getting on the court, by putting your own skin in the game and by being an active participant in the process. Absolutely. That's right. And That's you know, right. podcasts it's, are great and books are great, but until you actually experience it, you know, this is not, this is, you know, <laughs> Mickey and I are not trying to, you know, create a sales pitch for our services, although we, you know, but, but it's the, this is the truth. This is the truth. absolute truth is right. that until you actually put yourself on the court, um, and have a conversation, direct conversation with, with a coach, you're, you're still you're still a a victim, um, and you're you are which and part of being a victim is being a an inactive participant in your life. Exactly. Yep. And only you can make that choice. It yep. doesn't matter what you hear. It's I loved reading. There weren't podcasts back when I left. Right. Yeah. But uh, but there were there were things I could find on the computer. There were uh, classes I could take. Some free classes. Some classes I paid for. But um, there is help. But until you're right, until you jump in there with both feet, it's not going to change. It's not going to change. So uh, it's huge. And I don't coach anymore. So I'm not promoting my coaching. I'm, I'm not promoting anybody's coaching. But I am saying, find a coach for you because that's what changed my life. And I had several coaches. I had a couple of counselors, and they they're the ones who got me through this, who helped Absolutely. me Absolutely. help me move forward. Yeah. yeah, I and I feel the same way. I mean, I am a coach and I you know, but I don't care if it's me or somebody else. I of course I yeah. would love it to be me, but I'm also not the best sure. for everybody, right? But right. that's right. Um but the but the process of coaching and, and you know, and, and there's a difference between that I will I would just sort of talk about this briefly. The difference between therapy and coaching is is really profound. And um the thing about coaching is that it is more directive. Um, it is more some often prescriptive. Um, it takes you where you are now and pushes you into a future of your own design. Exactly. Whereas therapy will take you where you are now and dig back into the past and figure out like where, how you got here. Yeah. Um, and both are incredibly valuable. Um, some of the most co powerful coaching experiences I've had with clients is, are with the clients who have said, you know, I've been in therapy for years and I'm at the point where I get it, I understand it all, but now what? And those are the clients for me that make the most progress. Um, for well, and those are the clients who are ready to do something. Yep. And yep. that's, there's nothing, there's nothing more rewarding than having a, a client who has made up her mind or his mind, the way I'm living my life right now is not working. I know where I want to be. Help me find the steps from one to 10. Absolutely. Um, it's so that's so rewarding because then you know this is somebody who's going to do something with their lives. And yep. that's uh yep. it's so important whether it's abuse or anything else it doesn't matter. But Absolutely. those are the ones who are going to make a difference. Yes. Yep, absolutely. Um, I want to go back to this, uh, the piece about the financial, uh, financial abuse and control. Sure. Um, because I think this is a huge piece. I, I, you know, I work with a lot of people and I, and I hear from a lot of people who um, they've, they've abdicated financial responsibility in their relationships. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I was one of those. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. so much easier if you just do it, you know, and um, even if you're an active uh, participant in the earning, right there. Yeah. It, um, That's the insulting part. That's yeah. the insulting part. When I look back, I think, Nikki, what is wrong with you? Why in the world did you ever agree? But for, for one thing, before we ever got married, he made sure that I found a job that I was, I had a job in the town where he lived. I lived in one town. He was actually in the army then. This is back in 1968. So there mm -hmm. was, there was the draft in Vietnam and all that. And he was uh, stationed at a base in the United States. Had no, there was no way he was going to be shipped overseas because of his training. So um, he insisted that I have a job in his town before we, he would marry me. Huh. Now, ah, oh my God, Mickey, what's wrong with you? So then, um, I didn't make a lot of money, you know, I didn't have any education. I had a high school education at that point. I hadn't gone to college yet. So I probably made minimum wage, whatever that was. And uh, my checks were brought home and given to him. Mm. And he allowed me back then $20 a week is what <laughs> I got. And I even remember his dad sitting him down one time and saying, you can't do this. You cannot just dole out that small amount of money to her. She's working. That should be her money. Yeah. And he's like, no way, no way. This is how it is. I'm in control of the money. And that's how it stayed. Wow. So obviously wow. I, I allowed that to continue. I did, um, <laughs> I'm not proud to say, you know, I lied and I, and I snuck money out, you know, the things that we do to avoid fights or bruises, you know, I, I became a pretty darn good wire <laughs> yeah. so, i'm not proud of it it's not a good thing but that's how i that i feel like that was a survival technique sure sure and that was absolutely i mean i i i hate to hear you judge yourself for it because you know you were really in a situation in which that was that was just the way it was you didn't yeah. have a whole lot of choice yeah i don't um, beat myself up a lot about it but i'm not proud of it i'm not a liar but anyway that was part of it so now Fast forward, you know, now uh, he's out of the army. We're building our careers. Uh, we're both in the same industry now because I kind of morphed into his industry. And we ended up buying businesses. Mm -hmm. And so now we're both working hard, but all the revenue he controlled. So he would tell me which bills to pay, and, and those are the bills I would pay. He would, you know, he was in control. And it was like that for years and years and years and years. You know, he had me convinced that I couldn't handle money, that I didn't understand it, that, you know, this was not something I should even consider undertaking because, you know, I, because I, I was just unable. Yeah. Un, you know, couldn't do that. And, and I, and you know. made sure that you couldn't, right? So. Yeah, he made sure. But, but it turns out that I, I was very savvy, financially savvy, but I didn't realize that until after, after I got out. But, um, and that's just one of the, that's just how it is with financial abuse. They control the money. Yeah. So even though I spent 30 years building the businesses that we own, I was not, I didn't feel like it was my right to take any money out of the checking account, any significant amount of money. I was, you know, I could have taken half. And that would have made my life a whole lot easier. But my, re my reasoning was, it's not worth it. I mean, he could kill me. It's not worth it. Mm. So I didn't. And when I went to the lawyer, uh, when I went to the divorce lawyer, which happened to be on Valentine's Day, 
<laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Yeah. Yep. And the lawyer said, this must be a horrible place to be on Valentine's Day. And I said, oh, no, this is the best Valentine's gift I could give myself. <laughs> yep. And yep. it was. It yep. was. So then he said, well, you know, you've been married all these years, 34 years, and you've helped build this business. You're entitled to alimony. And I said, no way. Don't want no. it. So yeah, let's talk about that because you know it's interesting. I had a I had someone contact me with this yesterday, um, who said I don't care, I don't want any of it. He can keep his millions. I just want to out. Yeah. And my first thought was, hell no! Like you're entitled to that. You earned that. You worked into that. This was this is you know, however many years, twenty five years of marriage. This is this is half yours. But I hear what you're saying, and I heard what she was saying. She said, I just, I just want to be free. And I, you know, on the one hand, I, I didn't want, I don't want her to shoot herself in the foot. And I didn't, but I'm hearing what you're saying, and I'm hearing that this is, that sometimes freedom is more important than, um, than the money. There are two sides of this coin, mm -hmm. and I've lived it. I didn't right. want the money because I'm, I believe in energy, I'm an energy person. And I thought, if, I, if I'm tied to him yeah. and his money, I'm tied to that horrible, horrible energy. Yep. I also was afraid if I could get X thousands of dollars a month, a couple thousand dollars a month from him in alimony, he would be furious. Furious. Mm -hmm. And I, I was afraid. Okay. Yeah, I hear that. I so when it finally came down to it, um, he got the business, he got the businesses, and I got the house. Well, we had a mortgage on the house. It wasn't much money, um, but it took a couple years, three years maybe, before uh, I, I was able to actually sell the house. But it still turned out not to be very much money. And stupid me, out of the house revenue, he asked me to pay for his divorce lawyer, and I did. Oh, dear. I know. <laughs> but, but again, the, other, the price of freedom was, it sounds to me like the price was, of freedom was worth, was worth paying. It was. However, the flip side is that there are many times when I've thought, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't take anything. I don't think I wanted alimony. I, I still don't think I would have taken alimony. But I wish that I had structured the finances in a different way. I got the house and he got the businesses. So it would have been wiser for me to say, okay, that's fine. But when you sell the businesses, I want the difference between the value I got from the house and 50% yep. of the business. Yep. That would have been a fair compromise. And, and I felt like I deserved that because yeah. well, you I worked hard to build it. So yeah. I would, I'm, I'm not going to yeah. tell you what to tell your client who's in that situation. But um, freedom is worth it, but finances help a lot. So uh, well, a, it's, exactly. it's complicated. It's a and complicated issue. It is complicated. And I think that sometimes we romanticize um, being free of the money and being free of the, of the energy and the, and the man attached to all of those things, right? Um, but then we end up struggling and suffering. And, and, you know, and I think that for me, right, I, I, I was, my, my husband made a lot of money. And I did get alimony and I did, and I still get child support. Um, and I, but there are decisions that I made like giving up our house. Um, and that sometimes I think, oh man, 
<laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, that may not have been the smartest idea. That just yeah. may not have been the smartest move. Um, but, uh, you know, and at the time it was like, fine, fine. That make, that's fine. That works. I, that's okay. Just, I just want, you know, this to be done or whatever. And our divorce, our divorce proceedings were very amicable and our mediation was incredibly amicable. Um, cause I, we were not in this situation. Um, but, uh, there are still decisions, financial decisions that you make when you're in the middle of it, that you just, you're like, that's fine. And you don't think really far down the line. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the other thing is that when, when you've been, especially like I was had, when you've been a stay at home mom, um, you think it's going to take just a couple of years and you'll be fine. You'll get back on your feet. Uh, but when you've been out of the workforce for five, seven, ten years, uh, that's not the case. No, that's right. <laughs> it takes a hell of a lot longer than you ever think mm -hmm. to be able to reestablish yourself. Right. And um, and so I hate to see women making financial decisions uh, in the name of freedom when what they're actually doing is setting themselves up for being, you know, bootstrapped for a hell of a lot longer uh, than you ever think you will be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, or hamstrung is more the accurate term. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's, it's really, um, but it's complicated. It is. It's not a black and white issue. No, it's not. It's and there's so many other things to consider. My son was grown by yep. the time I got divorced. So I didn't have child support or concerns for his financial well-being. Yep. And um, I, I, I guess if I had it to do again, I would do what I said. I would have asked for a, the difference between the value of the house and the value of the business is at 50%. But I didn't think of that at the time because I was just so happy to know that I was, I had the strength to finally just get out, to just yep. say, and uh, well, anyway, I think we've kind of talked about that, but it, it's a tough, it's a tough position the tough position to be in. But, you know, people say, I, you know, I've got a wonderful house. I've got great cars. My kids go to private school. Do I really want to walk away from that? Well, yeah. that's a tough decision. I'll tell you something else that just came up and I never, ever, ever thought of it from this angle. I had an interview uh, for my podcast and the woman said, I stayed in the domestic abuse situation because of my kids. And yeah. I, uh, that was my greatest regret that I, that I stayed because my son, I, th I thought that was the reason I should stay. What she said was I stayed because I didn't want my kids ever to have to be alone with their dad. Oh yes. The, I've heard the that. only way she said, the only way I can control that, that I can protect my kids is that I'm always here. And if she's the one taking the abuse, right? Because if she's not there, uh, yeah, he's going to he abuse the kids. Back, he'll, he'll turn it towards the kids. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. So I had never, I never thought of, I never thought of it from that angle. Mm. I guess for me, I thought if I left when my son was young, when our son was young, we only had one child, then um, he wouldn't want anything to do with him anyway. You know, he would, he would just disappear because that would be easier. He always took the easy route. It was, so I don't know if that would have been the case or not, right. but it may not have been at that point. It, it could have put him in a much more precarious position. Yeah. So I never thought of it that way, but I, I now when I say get out, I think, wait a minute, that may not be the right decision. Right. 
So again, it's, it's a tough, tough decision. Yes, it is. And so how would you, what is your best advice? If someone listening to this right now, who's listening to all this going, uh, you know, now, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah. What my advice is embrace personal growth. I can't say this is what you should do or uh, yeah, I can say this is how I did it, mm -hmm. but each person ha knows their situation. As I said, people who are living in domestic abuse, their stories are unique, but they are so similar. They're so common. So I, my, my best advice is figure out how you begin to embrace personal growth because that's the only thing that's going to change this cycle. I've said it three or four times. If you don't change, nothing changes. So here's, and, and what I, when I coach, I used to say, look, when you are changing things in your mind, nobody can see you. Nobody can see what's going on inside your head. Right. So, so don't be afraid when you're learning new things. Don't be afraid. It, now, sometimes it's precarious to find time or place that you can read the book so that you can have a coaching session or uh, listen to a webinar or, or participate in a webinar. Figure it out. You've got to figure it out. and know that all the new changes that are going on inside your head nobody can see your abuser can't see it he can't use it against you he can't ridicule you for that because he can't see it but meanwhile you're growing you're changing you're realizing that what you're living in is not healthy yep so whatever avenue of personal growth is best to embrace for you do it do it now do it now even if it takes you know, again, it took me about 10 years beyond, 11 years beyond when I started realizing what my life was to actually leave. And once I decided, once I had that deciding moment where I was bruised and I said, that's it, I'm done, it still took me four months to get out. Yep. Now, I was not in a situation where my husband had guns or we didn't have weapons in the house. Uh, of course, he had threatened to kill me, and um, that's very common. And that's enough. That's enough. Yep. You know, it's, it's, you don't have to know that he's got a weapon. If you're threatened to be killed, you take that seriously. So anyway, um, don't leave. I, I always encourage people not to, not to leave in a situation that is dangerous. We, we kind of address that, but it's really vitally important. Yep. Figure yeah. out how you're going to do that. If you have children, get them out of the house first would be my, my opinion. If you're going to leave, no, think it through. Think it through. There are services that will help you plan. There are underground networks that will, you know, if it's really serious, um, there are underground networks that will take you and your children in the middle of the night. You know, there, there's, there is shit that can be done. That's right. Um, that is to be very, very, very careful. Yep. Um, and it's not, you know, it's nothing. Anybody does spur of the moment. You've got to be ready. I, I, I say oft, all the time. I can't encourage anybody to leave. I can't say, you know, look, you need to get out of that because it doesn't matter. Until the person who's living in the situation is ready, it's not going to work. Even if they leave, they'll go back. Yes. And you and, have to. And the yeah. only way to get ready is to do this personal development work. Exactly. And that's. that's exactly. It, yeah, I think that's the most important thing, right? Because, and you know, this is the thing that I always say is that, you know, in abusive situations or not, but especially is that 68% of second marriages fail because mm -hmm. we have, because we thought it was the other person's fault. 
because we don't do the work. (laughs) So true. And 75% of third marriages fail because we just keep trading out the dude. And we're marrying the same person, the same personality. You know, that's what I recognized years ago. um, And that's why I put myself in the repair shop because I recognized that my friends were marrying the same alcoholic over and over and over. They were the same abuser over and over and over. And finally, I remember saying to one of my friends, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What is the common denominator here? Yep. It's you. So if you don't change, nothing's going to change. It's amazing. Absolutely. It is it's amazing. amazing. And it's so true. It all comes down to that. Yep. Mickey, this has been such an incredibly enlightening and important conversation. And I'm so grateful that you came on. Um, tell us what your podcast is again so that people can find it. And I will definitely put it in the show notes as well. Sure. My podcast is Surviving Abuse Podcast. I'm proud to say that on iTunes, in self-development slash domestic abuse, I'm number two. I'm ranked number two oh, in their fabulous. rankings. Fabulous. So, and I'm up against corporations that have millions of dollars of marketing dollars. So I, uh, I'm really proud of my podcast. If some of, if, if you go there or when you go there and you download, I've got about 110 episodes now, about 110 shows, and you'll see three different titles. You'll see the second 53 years, which was my first podcast that I started about three years ago. I called it the second 53 years because I was 53 when I left abuse. And I said, those 53 years were for everybody else, and these 53 are mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so that's why it was called Second 53 Years. Then I morphed it into um, figuring out after 50, figuring it out after 50. And then just in May, not quite a year, about nine, eight or nine months ago, I changed it to Surviving Abuse Podcast. So it's all about personal growth. Every single one of them is, but I don't address domestic abuse until. I started Surviving Abuse Network. Great. So that's my podcast. And those can all be downloaded on my webpage too. It's Surviving Abuse Network. Survivingabusenetwork.com is my um, um, webpage. And on there, I've got all my podcasts, all my live videos, which I do at least twice a week, and blog posts. And they all address abuse. They all address domestic abuse and personal growth, personal development ideas. Well, I'm going to put every, everything in the show notes uh, so you guys can find Mickey and follow her and hang on her every brilliant word. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you so much, Mickey, for coming on and talking to us. Um, seriously, it's, it's an honor, an honor. Well, thank you, Kate. I, I love, um, you know, you have to live your, walk your talk. You have to walk your talk. And that's what this is about for me. 